before we uh, uh, invite our kids down to Sunday Kids Camp, uh, we're going to have a children's sermon. So if you are fourth grade or younger, would you please come and, and have a seat? I'd love to have you join me. Don't be shy. I have props today. <clears throat> yeah, what's up, guys? Come on over. You can slide over a little bit. All right. Perfect. Yeah, you can have a seat right there. Hi, girls. Hey. So, um, so uh, today, what we're going to talk about in the sermon today is we're going to continue to talk in the book of Proverbs, and today our topic is the relationship of parents and children, parents and children. So we thought it would be good for, to talk a little bit about your parents. Now, I want to ask, how many of you would say that some of your parents have some rules? Who's, who's brave enough to share, like, what's one of the rules that your parents have? Oh, I don't know if I want to call my daughter. <laughs> How about we'll go with Alex first. What's a rule? Not like a crazy rule, just kind of like a normal rule. Yeah, no technology on Sunday mornings. That's a good one. That's actually a really good one, parents. Everybody listening, no technology on Sunday. Way to go, Hughley's. That's great. What are, what, other, what are some other rules? Okay, Lydia. Yeah they, yeah, they watch what movies or shows that you're watching to make sure that it's age appropriate. What other rules? Do any of you have rules around bedtime? Can you go to bed whenever you want? When it's bedtime, it's time to go to bed. What about fighting with your siblings? Sometimes. <laughs> no rules about fighting with your siblings. So our parents have rules. I'm sure many of you here, you're already thinking about you had rules that when you were a child were drilled into your head, right? And they, they were, they were uh, important uh, things that your parents imparted to you. Well, I want to talk about a little bit about those rules and why your parents have rules. If you can see the screen up here, I want to read you these texts. These are awesome, awesome texts from the Bible. Ephesians 6 says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is straight from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And, and Paul is quick to say, this is the first of those commandments that actually has a promise accompanied to it. What's the promise? That if you honor your father and mother, it's going to be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. That's a pretty good promise. And then Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, which we're going to talk a little bit about later, everybody here. Hear, my child, your father's instruction. Do not reject your mother's teaching. For they are a fair garland for your head and a pendant around your neck. They, are, they have wonderful benefits and rewards for you. So sometimes we think about the rules or the instructions that our parents give us as, as sort of restrictive, like they're making sure that we're not having fun. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Like, I just want to have fun, but we have these rules. No? Nobody? Man, you kids are all... Okay, good. Thank you. Good, Kellen. I'm, way to bail me out there. Um, but uh, actually, I want to tell you that some of these rules and, and, and things that your parents give you are actually good. So Caleb is going to be, help be my prop guy. Caleb, if you come forward, um, you can see here I've created a little ring here. I'm going to ask Caleb to stand in it. So this hula hoop is what I'm going to call a ring of safety, Okay. If you think about the, the rules and the instructions and the restrictions that your parents place on you as kids, think of it like sort of a line like this that they ask you to stay inside of because that's a safe place. That's a safe place for you to be, right? And when we stay in that place of safety, um, we're going to be secure 
and we're going to uh, be able to, to receive good wisdom, and we're going to stay safe. Now, sometimes parents put rules on us, and we go a little bit outside, right? So maybe we take a foot out, right, Caleb? Like maybe a, a foot outside, and then we kind of go back, right? Because we realize we got to go to a place of safety. But what happens if you take a few steps outside of safety? Go ahead, Caleb. Take a few steps outside. Bad things can happen, okay? <laughs> Bad things can happen. when we. So you got to return. There we go. I want to tell you a story. When I was about four years old, my parents took us on a trip to Nova Scotia, which is on the east coast of Canada. It's an island, and it's this beautiful place. And if you've been to Nova Scotia, you know there's tons of rocks, right? And the ocean waves come, and they crash on the rocks, and they spray you. And I was just a little, I was, I was little. I was four or five years old. And what, when, how many of you, when you see a bunch of big rocks, just all you want to do is climb on the rocks? Yeah, I know every single one of you. Good. Okay, good. I think there's something in us that just wants to climb. I just wanted to climb on the rocks. But what did my dad do? He said, hey, we're going to place a ring of safety. Here's where you can go, and here's where you can't go, right? Because we got to stay safe. Because the drop-off from those rocks was 20, 30, sometimes 40 feet into crashing waves. I, it's one of my first memories that I have in my life was I climbed on the rocks further than my dad said to. And I remember... One of my first memories is slipping on a slippery rock. And I remember my dad grabbing my collar and pulling me back, pulling me back. I'm confident that if my dad hadn't pulled me back, that I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, I might be in the bottom of the ocean somewhere. It was not a good place for me to be, and it would have been much worse consequence than just getting sprayed with a spray bottle, right? I would have fallen into the ocean and, and maybe lost my life. So I share that story because... The p- rules that our parents put on us are actually good for us. They're supposed to keep us safe. And sometimes we're going to step outside of those. And sometimes we step too far outside and we need to return back to that place of safety. And the Bible tells us that actually God put parents in our lives to create a safety zone around us so that we can stay safe throughout our lives. So I have three things for you kids to think about. Okay? Three things, and you can remember Caleb standing in the circle as you think about these three things. First of all, listen to your parents. Listen to their instruction and obey, because they love you, and they care about you, and they want you to be safe. The second thing is sometimes you're going to step out of that place of safety, right? You're going to forget the rules, or you're going you're to purposely walk outside of them. And what I want you to do when you do that is I want you to recognize your outside. I want you to take a step back into that safety zone that your parents have created for you in a lot of different ways and say, I'm sorry. I need to stay within your instructions and your safety zone that you put out for me. And then the third thing, and this is the most powerful thing, and I know every single parent here is going to agree with me. Pray for your parents. Pray for your parents that we would set good safety zones around you so that you can stay safe in your lives and you can grow up um, not only safe and secure, but you can understand more about God's instruction through your parents' instruction. You guys are awesome listeners. Uh, If you're going down to Sunday Kids Camp, I'll invite you down to Sunday Kids Camp. Any other kids who are going to Sunday Kids Camp, feel free to head downstairs with Mrs. Gould. For the rest of us here, we're going to talk a little bit more about parents and children in just a minute. Uh, God's Word. Our reading this morning is from Proverbs 23, as we continue to talk about parents and children. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. 
Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So we're continuing in our uh, study of Proverbs by looking at those themes that we find sort of popcorning around in, in chapters 10 through 30. Um, I was reading through this week, kind of preparing, uh, and, and I found a number of scholars who actually are interested in the idea that Solomon in Proverbs, what he's doing is he's creating a commentary on the Ten Commandments uh, in this section, which I thought was really interesting. And you can kind of go through each of those Ten Commandments and find spaces in Proverbs where they're addressed. Um, but the one thing that, that gives a couple of these scholars pause is that there's one of the Ten Commandments that shows up way more in Proverbs than any of the other nine, and that is honoring your father and mother more than any other. Solomon, the, the primary author of Proverbs, regularly, regularly returns to this parent-child relationship. Um, in fact, the book of Proverbs is set up as a, as a rhetorical tool. It's set up as God the Father instructing uh, a child, his child, his son, on wisdom. That's the, that's the image of Proverbs. So it's God instructing his child, Israel, as they navigate life on wisdom. So it's the, it's the substructure. This parent-child relationship is actually the substructure of the book of Proverbs. And, and essentially what Solomon is saying throughout the book of Proverbs is stay in the safety circle. Because it's going to go well for you if you do. Stay in that circle of safety. So let's talk a little bit about parents and children from Proverbs. Um, I enjoyed speaking with the kids this morning. Parents, I hope you enjoyed me doing you a solid. Uh, let me know how that goes later this afternoon. And if your kids are really well behaved, I want to know that. Um, you might expect that since we talked to the kids about uh, uh, being a child that we focus on parenting now, right? And that parenting-child relationship. But I'm not going to do that today. I have a few reasons why. First, um, there's a good amount of stuff in, in Proverbs on parenting. You could definitely find some good wisdom uh, particularly around discipline and some other areas. Um, but there's way, way more in the book of Proverbs on being a child than there is on being a parent. So we're going to focus a little bit more on that this morning. Second, parenting is not universal. Parenting is not universal. Many of us are parents here, uh, but not all of us are. And, and, um, but we all have something in common. Uh, we are children. We're children. So it's a good reminder that the Proverbs are not meant to be read universally as commands for every person. Um, they are ways to wisdom. Not every single proverb is going to apply to, to every person in every stage of life. So uh, if you're a parent here and you were super anxious about getting some parenting advice, I'm sorry that this sermon really isn't about parenting, but I will be addressing all of you later. So stay awake um, uh, with a really good and, and important word on this. So um, back to being a child, that's my focus. Um, uh, three things that I want to say first before we sort of dig into the meat of the sermon. Um, from the book of Proverbs, three things I want to say. First, um, the command to honor your father and mother isn't something just for little kids. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. I've been convicted about this for a long time, uh, where we do children's sermons, things like honor your father and mother, and we talk to the kids about it. Um, so I'm thankful to, to be able to say this from the pulpit. You never cease being a child, ever. Whether it's the younger kids here with two loving parents in the home, or maybe a young adult who's here who's navigating a broken family, or the oldest person here whose parents have long since passed away, we're all still children. We're always children. 
at no point in the Ten Commandments is there an indication that there is an age cut off when you do not have to honor your father and mother anymore. Proverbs actually makes it really clear that this wisdom is for all ages and all stages of life. Even the verse that I read for you already. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Certainly, the Bible recognizes that there are different stages to life, but you are still a child in every single one of those stages. The German psychologist Eric Erickson, if you've taken any Psychology 101, you know about Eric Erickson. He was the first to identify eight different life stages uh, where we remain the same person. We don't change the person that we are, but what it means to be that person and relate to people changes, right? Stages of life. And it's no different for us biblically when we think about being children. What it means for us to be obedient and honoring children uh, uh, is going to change throughout our lives. What it means for me to be an obedient son, an honoring son that day in Nova Scotia when I was climbing on the rocks is different than what it's meant for the last year of my life with my dad uh, who had a horrible year with colon cancer and tons of medical stuff. I, it, was di- it was a different calling for me to honor my father in this season than it was back then, right? I know that some of you have estranged parents, maybe wayward parents, you don't respect very much. Maybe you, I, I, know, I know several of you here have aging parents that you're caring for, and many of you have parents who are no longer with us. We are still called, each and every one of us, to honor our father and our mother in every stage of life. So just practically, when you choose to focus on the better parts of your parents rather than the worst parts of your parents, you honor them. When you, especially teenagers, young adults who are here, when you when you are asserting independence and differentiating from your parents and forging your own path, but you choose not to disparage them as you're doing that, you honor them. When you make phone call after phone call to arrange for care for an elderly or sick parent, you honor them. When you pass on wisdom and humor and stories from your parents who are long gone, you honor them. You show that you recognize the important role that they have in your life, and that they serve an important role in every stage of your life, and they will continue to. Which brings me to the second thing that you need to hear. The parent-child relationship was set up as the primary vehicle for wisdom distribution. I'm convinced of this as I read Proverbs. There's a reason that Proverbs is set up as an allegory of a father talking to a son. It's because the parent-child relationship is meant to be that special. Can we mar and, and taint that relationship both as children or as parents through, through sin or neglect? Yes, certainly, of course. But God's design on this relationship is that it would be designed to be a vehicle to impart wisdom to the next generation. One of the things that you learn early on in therapy or psychology is that you never, ever, ever escape your family of origin, ever. It's always with you. The scars, certainly, but hopefully the virtues as well. So Proverbs does not have a ton of instruction for like siblings and how they're supposed to relate or teachers or, or coaches or coworkers, but it has repeated focus on parents and children because that is where so much of wisdom is supposed to be imparted and absorbed. And there are some good reasons for this being the case that brings me to my third thing I want you to hear is that we need to understand the context of, of children and parents um, in the ancient world so that we can understand the fullness of what Proverbs instructs us to do. We have to understand the context of what Solomon was writing about. So both for 
ancient Judaism and and in the ancient Near East uh, in Solomon's time, that's around 1000 BC, okay? And the Greco-Roman world that Jesus was born into a thousand years later, the concept of family is radically different than our concept of family here today. You need to know that. There was no concept in either of those times of what we would call today a nuclear family, okay? The fact that uh, in fact, the, the, the whole idea of a nuclear family um, doesn't really show up until the 13th century in Northern Europe, and it doesn't become the norm, what we sort of experience as nuclear family, doesn't become the norm until after the uh, Industrial Revolution. Prior to that point, and, and throughout the entire biblical narrative, the family is much broader. So the nuclear family, this idea of like a father and mother and children in a house together, um, that's anathema in Scripture. It's not what they're thinking of when they talk about family. Uh, they would have spoken in terms of a household, which would have included grandparents and slaves and servants and animals and oftentimes like aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews. Even uh, in some Near Eastern traditions, the idea of your ancestors are always a part of your household, even after they've passed on. So the patriarch was the head of that household. The burden of the family's wealth and, and health and provision rested on the head of the household. So when the Ten Commandments were written and when Proverbs were written, there was added motivation to address parents and children. Why? Well, the Ten Commandments say, honor your father and mother and it will go well for you in the land. That's not talking about some sort of cosmic karma, like if you honor your father and mother well, like good things are going to happen to you. What it means is that a child's wellness is tied to obedience to the patriarch and the matriarch of that household. Children throughout biblical times, you need to know, were not highly valued in the way that we think about them today. They were kept in check. They were not a central part of the family. The family was not focused on children. They were sort of like a secondary part of the family until they turned 13, where they could begin to function as more of an adult that would benefit the local economy of that household and also their community. So children were essentially a part of a household in the same way that an animal was a part of a household. Until they could play their part, until they could be productive, until they could really pitch in, they could really help. So our modern Western experience of parent and child relationships shares little in common with the assumptions, conventions, and experiences of the ancient Near East or the Greco-Roman world. Perhaps the most striking distance when you think about it is the fact that today we've developed these like very clear uh, models of childhood as, as this tightly organized stage of development. You know, we're, toddler, we're toddlers, and, or we're infants, and then we're toddlers, and then we're this in grade school and middle school and high school. Those were entirely lacking in the ancient world. Those are totally modern distinctions. Instead, children were only valued as they contributed to the larger social whole and to their household. There was not much sentimentalism about childhood itself. There was little uh, concept of, of like discovering the world through a child's eyes. That was not something that an ancient would say. It wasn't really what the parent could do for the child. It was rather what the child could ultimately do for the parent, for the family, for the household. So the goal of parenting in the biblical world was for your child to contribute to the household as soon as possible. That was the goal. And if they worked if they ultimately had children themselves, if they gained honor, they would bring honor to their household. We can therefore say that the child's purpose in biblical times, when these things were being written, was to bring honor to your household. That was your purpose in life. 
obviously, we are light years away from that in terms of what we experience in parent-child relationships today, where, where parents empathize with their kids, and they help them navigate socially, emotionally, and they encourage them to find their passion and, and to be themselves, and, and to ultimately, what the goal is that you'd be well-adjusted adults so that you can be totally independent from your parents, right? I'm not saying that one parenting style is, is necessarily superior to the others, but we need to understand that the difference uh, between us and the ancient world is huge, and, and we have to understand that if we want to understand what the Proverbs want to say to us. So those are three things I want you to hear, and we can begin to understand what Proverbs has to say about what it means to be a child and, and the kind of relationship that we should have with our parents. Proverbs says that this relationship of, uh, is one of wisdom, and it's part of how God created the order of things so that we could honor our parents and, 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 and add value to their lives, care for them, respect them. Um, it's not always easy. I know that parents aren't perfect. I'm one of them, so I know that very well. Um, some of them uh, are and, and are more harmful than they are helpful. I recognize that today, and we don't have time to, to dig into all of that. But the message of Proverbs, and really the biblical narrative, uh, especially in the Old Testament, is pretty straightforward. It's not an earth-shattering message. Honor your father and mother. This is part of what God designed you to do. This is part of how God designed the family to work. But I want to go down another path here, and this is where this whole theme sort of comes to life for me. So, as I've said, the biblical view of children was not sort of warm and fuzzy, but it was pretty pragmatic. It was pretty static. But something really interesting happens. After Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the followers of Jesus, the people who had followed him on this earth, started joining together, and they started gathering together in homes, and they started gathering on Sunday mornings together in houses. That's a different holy day, by the way, than the Jews, who are Friday night to Saturday night. And the reason they changed that, that day was because they wanted to celebrate the Easter resurrection miracle over and over again every week. And all over the, the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world, there were these little microcells of Jesus followers that were popping up. In, in almost every place, they are quiet, they are peaceful, they are unassuming, they are embedded in, in cities and towns. And, and Greeks and Jews and, and pagans of the Greco-Roman world begin to call them followers of the way. That's how they were first designated, followers of the way, followers of the way. That's the earliest version of what we're doing right here, right now, called church, right? And they gathered, very similar to how we're gathering this morning and how we gather every Sunday. They sing together, they pray together, they read scripture, and then somebody teaches on it or talks about it, and then they have a meal together. That was the earliest church. We, we have the exact same format here today. But their gatherings actually weren't what they were most known for, at least not initially. In the early second century, there's a letter uh, that we have. It's one of the earliest extant letters that we have uh, describing these followers of the way. It's called the letter to Diognetus. Uh, we don't know who the author is, but writing to a Roman official, his name is Diognetus. And um, the unknown author describes in fascinating ways, but, but most peculiar um, to this Roman officer, uh, were two things. He found, he found these people, followers of the way, most peculiar in two ways. First, their social action. They actually treated their neighbors well. And they genuinely wanted to help people that were outside of their household. Why would you want to do that? Your local economy is your household. Why would you care so much about what's going on in somebody else's household? So he was enamored by that. And the second thing, which I want to highlight most of all, he was perplexed by their care for children. 
by their care for you. Of all the things you could say about the followers of the way, he goes to lengths to say they care for children. Why would they care about them? He talks about how they rescued abandoned children in the streets and in the rivers of the towns and adopted them into their households. This was a wonder to him. The author goes at great lengths to explain that these followers of the way resisted the common Roman practice of infanticide and abortion. Clearly, this author is in disbelief that anybody would care about life, particularly life in the womb. I know that's a hot topic today, but we ignore the church's wisdom on this to our own peril. It needs to be said. So friends, the earliest extant letter that we have describing the earliest church, the the, the earliest non-biblical literature that we have, is all about how they valued and cared for children. Isn't that interesting? Now certainly we can assume that the early church was motivated by Jesus' own treatment of children, right? Jesus models in his own life. He was the one who who blessed the young children. He was the one who, who said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I think there's something even deeper happening here than just the model of Jesus. The Apostle Paul um, and his writings are a portal into the early church's thinking. Why, Why were they thinking the way that they were thinking? Why did they do the things that they did? So not only did they see Jesus value children, and we're carrying that forward, but it's clear in Paul's writing that they understood themselves as children of God. Paul writes in Romans 8, For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact, we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Friends, The early church, I believe, showed a renewed value and joy in the children among them, which was totally countercultural because they saw themselves as children of God who wanted to seek to, to bring him honor and glory. They wanted to bless him and they wanted to obey him. In the letter to Diognetus, the the author even says they they aren't like Romans. We can't call them Romans, and we can't call them Jews because they're not like the Jews. They are actually some sort of third genos is the word that he uses. Genos can be translated as tribe or clan or even better, family. What is that author saying? They're a new kind of family. This is a new family where the children hunger to honor their heavenly father where their value and purpose is not dictated by their production or their wealth or their contribution, but by their designation as a child of God. That's where their worth comes from. That's where their purpose comes from. And because they experienced the love of God so richly through Jesus, they were motivated to live like him and and to love the children around them just like God does through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Proverbs assumes, as does the Ten Commandments, that the relationship between a parent and a child is a vehicle for wisdom to be imparted so that things go well for children. 
so that they'll contribute, they'll, they'll strengthen their household. But then Jesus unlocks this entirely new definition of what it means to be a family, of what it means to be a child. We realize that, that being a child of our earthly parents is a way for us to practice what it means to be a child of God. And that by being a child of God, it's a way for us to strengthen us in our role as being a child to our earthly parents. That's how God set things up. And parents who are here, I'm finally going to give you that, that incredible wisdom of parenting advice that you've been waiting for that I promised I was going to give you. This is the best parenting advice I could ever give you. You can throw away every other parenting book that you ever had. Listen to this. Let your kids see you be the best child of God that you can possibly be. Let them see you be the best child of God that you can possibly be. Let your kids watch you be dependent on God and honor and obey God in every stage of your life. And then guess what? You're going to thrive as parents. You're going to thrive as parents because being a child of God will strengthen you immeasurably as you parent your own children. So, the message this morning is pretty straightforward. Honor your father and mother, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, and it's going to go well for you. How's it going to go well for you? Well, that's where God imparts wisdom. That's where he teaches you to be a child of God. And he reminds you of your value and your purpose. I still am blessed to receive so much wisdom and blessing from my parents, Bob and, and Judy, uh, my in-laws, Jim and Cindy, who are here today as well, my parents in my life. Solomon's Wisdom is prescient. Let your father and mother be glad. Let you who bore you rejoice. Am I a perfect son? Far from it. Mom, I know you're probably on live stream. I will call you today. I know it's been a few days. I'm sorry about that. But here's the awesome thing. When I honor these people that God has given me in my life, when I honor them in, in some sort of magical, mystical, parallel way, I'm training my heart to receive and absorb wisdom from my heavenly father. What a double win. This is a win-win, everybody. I honor these people that I already love, and by doing so, God trains my heart to honor him and obey him. So let's do the same. Let's honor our parents in whatever stage of life we're in, and in by doing, we're going to train ourselves to honor God and live into his family and set our heart and lives on honoring him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, would you teach us from your great wisdom what it means for us to honor our father and mother where we are right now. For those who are here who are still under mom and dad's roof in some way, would you impress upon them what it means to see this structure as a gift from you, a place where you want to impart wisdom. For those who are out of the house and, and on their own and navigating life, would you give them a vision of what it means to honor you? For those who come from broken families, from families where they have a tough time respecting and honoring the earthly parents that they have, would you help them to see your blessings even in spite of the difficulties that are there? Would you teach them what it means to honor their father and mother where they are in the way that they can? For those who deal with aging parents and care for them, would you give them the strength to honor them, even in that difficult season? And for those whose parents have gone, 
Would you teach them what it means to honor their father and their mother and to carry on that blessing to future generations? And Lord, as we seek to honor our father and our mother that you've given to us, we thank you that you call us your child. That through Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters of adoption into your family, that you bring us into your great household. What a gift and what a blessing, Lord. Would you teach us, as we honor our parents, what it means to honor you, we pray in your name. Amen.